Today's sermon text is Psalm 121. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy and life-giving word. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this day forth and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Thanks, David. What a gift to see you, man. Good to see you, family. I'm so glad you guys are here. They've been around a while. So we, so. All right, well, good morning. For those of us who haven't had an opportunity to meet yet, my name is Tyler. I'm one of our elders here at Christ Community. Um, it is an absolute gift to be sharing God's word with you all today. Uh, Psalm 121. Here we are. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you heard this, this psalm before. Uh, so Psalm 121 is actually the second chapter in a collection of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. Uh, they range from Psalm 120 to, to Psalm 134. All of those consist of the, the Songs of Ascent. And these songs were most likely memorized and sung by the people of Israel as they journeyed from their homes to Jerusalem for different festivals like, like Passover or the Feast of Booths. They were pilgrim songs. Hymns that were written for a pilgrimage. But these pilgrimages weren't just simple strolls to town. They weren't kind of, you know, right down the road. Many Israelites actually traveled from significant distances away. One of the, the furthest towns, and I looked this up, I was Google mapping this and having a, a good time with this. Um, one of the furthest towns from Jerusalem within the kingdom at that time was Sidon. And at best, it would have taken an entire week to travel there on foot. So imagine walking from, from Champaign to, to St. Louis, uh, but exchange our, our nice flat paved roads uh, for just mile after mile of mountains and rivers and rocky terrain, uh, always under the constant threat of potential thieves lurking around, exposure to the elements, wild animals. Uh, and you would have made this roundabout journey at least three times a year. Like, can you even fathom that? That's massive. But you see, Jerusalem was home to the temple. It was the dwelling place of God's very presence. And the people of Israel endured such long, grueling trips for one great purpose, to draw near to God in community with one another. Man, it was a time of, of repentance and reconciliation, a time for worship and celebration, a time for communion and refreshment. Man, I, I just, I have to believe that the joy of their going there, of their gathering there, was more than enough to undo all of the, the pain and the exhaustion and the doubt they endured to get there. But that long road still remained. And at, at times, it may have seemed absolutely impossible, apart from God's intervention, apart from the Lord's help. 
So, they sang this song. They sang the song to remember where their help came from. Now, thankfully, uh, you and I are not subject to this same week-long hike three times a year. Uh, but make no mistake, we are equally pilgrims on an impossible journey. And we are equally desperate for God's intervening help. We are. So with our time together here in Psalm 121 today, we're we're going to begin by understanding what kind of pilgrimage we're on and how helpless we are to see that journey through apart from the Lord's help. And then we're going to turn our attention to God's help. Uh, We're going to see what's the nature of God's help and how do we receive God's help. But before we go any further, I'm going to ask for God's help to faithfully preach his word. So please join me in prayer one more time. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. God, that is just the simplicity of my prayer right now. The simplicity of our prayer to you this morning is just help us, God. We are helpless. We're helpless to to receive this word, to be transformed by it apart from your power. God, open our hearts to receive it this morning. Transform us, God. I pray that we would see just how in need of you we truly are, and how good of a Father you are, that you would help us in the way that you do, that you stand ready to pour out your help on us continually. Please bless this reading of your word and this this time together uh, as your people. Amen. All right. So what do I mean when I say that you and I are pilgrims, living on a pilgrimage. That that feels very, ooh, metaphorical. Hmm, tell me more. Uh, What kind of journey are we on and and where are we even going? Uh, Now, the Bible is actually full of stories that involve some kind of journey. And the majority of those journeys involve God's people traveling to the promised land. Uh, So that was the earthly kingdom that God had established for Israel. This is where Jerusalem was. So think of Moses, for example, uh, and Israel's 40 years of wandering back towards the promised land from their captivity in Egypt. Now, in Hebrews 11, the author recounts a few of these journeys, and more specifically, the individuals at the heart of each story. However, he mentions something really interesting. Uh, Beginning in verse 13, he writes, These saints that he's referring to, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, it's true that a majority of these people never actually completed their journey. It is. Uh, Moses was a great example of that. Like, right as they reached the precipice of the promised land, God told Moses that he would not be able to enter into it because of his sin. I mean, you can't, we can't even imagine that. 40 years in a desert. 40 years. I can barely grapple with the, the 34 that I've lived, let alone 40 years of wandering in your adult life just to get there and to not get it. Oh. But notice what else the author writes. See, they acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Not in Egypt or the wilderness, but on earth. And he goes on to write, They desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So you see, the saints 
they came to understand that their exile was not entirely from uh, a physical place here in this world, but the true kingdom of God. Their great journey was not ultimately to the city of Jerusalem, but to the holy, eternal city of Zion, beyond this life. That right there, that Christ community, that is the pilgrimage that we're on as well. Just as the people of Israel were exiled to a foreign land because of their sin, our own sin has severed us from our true home with God. You see, we were, we were created to exist alongside him in his country for all eternity. But instead, we choose to wander around this world searching for our own kingdoms. And we will helplessly do so until we crumble along with them. Listen to this. Our homes in this life, they will not last no matter how at home we feel in them, right? Our homes will not last, no matter how at home they feel. And yet, in spite of our sin, God has made a way for us to journey back to Zion. The very real Zion. Not just a place here, but our heavenly dwelling. You see, Jesus, the true King of heaven, he entered our world as an exile, exchanging his heavenly citizenship for our treasonous abandonment. And by his death and resurrection, we are reconciled to God and we are welcomed back to the holy city forever. And nothing will drive us away again. Nothing we do can separate us from that promise of our heavenly dwelling. So, until that glorious day, we are all journeying towards our home as pilgrims. And that journey is hard. Right? Amen? Amen? This is a hard life, amen? Oh, no. I know you all know it is. Maybe it's just too hard right now. You can't jump in that. Uh, this life we live is so terribly hard. I mean, every single day of our lives is influenced in one way or another by disappointment and difficulty and, and even death. Now, all thanks to sin's effects on creation, our journey to the kingdom spans an ocean of suffering. I heard, or I read Dane Orland just said this uh, in a book. Uh, he wrote Deeper, really good. I'd say check it out. But he talks about how, you know, we have this assumption that our life is, is primarily like, you know, pretty easy going with a few bumps uh, along the way. But he says, no, no, no. No, life is an ocean of suffering with perhaps islands of relief here and there. And you may be well acquainted with that kind of suffering this morning. Every day, you might wake up thinking, it has to get better at some point, right? I don't know how much longer I can handle this. We are desperate for help. So desperate that we're even tempted to forego the journey altogether in exchange for the immediate comforts all around us. So we find that same thing actually happening in the Bible in all different places. But let's recall the Israelites here, having just escaped Egypt... They're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. Uh, They were complaining to Moses, saying, Man, did you just bring us here to die? Why why don't we just go back to Egypt? You know, at least there we had food and water and shelter. I mean, at least there we had some semblance of ease. And Psalm 121 also speaks to this temptation. The author begins by saying, My eyes look to the hills. From where does my help come? 
So the author is trying to capture here how his eyes are frantically searching for some kind of relief along the road to Zion. So instead of looking immediately to God, he looks to the hills for the, for the help that he needs. Now, very practically at that time, the hills may have offered some kind of momentary refuge for, for travelers to Jerusalem. So perhaps they were filled with, with caverns to take shelter in. Maybe they could just get to the top and maybe see that we're a little closer than we realized we were. And yet, just like the, the prospect of returning to Egypt, uh, the hills were also rife with uncertainty. Now, maybe the, the steep terrain will be dangerous for our, for our restless feet. Uh, maybe they're, they're concealing some kind of threat. Thieves or enemies just waiting to take advantage of us. When I'm personally feeling weary and frantic for rest, when that road begins to look impossibly long, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. I look up and down for anything I can get my hands on that will just help me get through. You know, that will restore a sense of ease, that will offer me just a, just a moment of, of relief. You know, it could be food, it could be TV, it could be Instagram, anything, anything to take my mind off the path ahead. And let me be clear. God can and will meet our need for help in very practical means. You know, the hills, they were often... Uh, a gift to weary travelers. They were. A good meal, a good show, a little R&R. That's not a sin to enjoy these things. They're gifts. They are gifts. But they can also be a double-edged sword. When I depend on them solely for the help that I need to carry on, they'll entice me to stay a little bit longer. Yeah? Just one more bite. That'll help. Or just one more purchase. Or just, just one more video. On and on until I say, you know what? That's enough of this journey. I have all that I need right here. The psalmist recognizes that temptation. The hills cannot solely enable them to press on. So he lifts his gaze a little higher. Beyond the hills, towards the heavens, and on to the great cosmic refuge that we have in the Lord. From where does my help come? He asks. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The help we need to press on, to endure, to be sustained, to be refreshed, to be reminded of our great reward at the end of the road is found in God alone. Now, what actually makes God's help so much more sufficient than any other help we can derive from this world. Because you may be hearing me this morning thinking, okay, that sounds, I get it, that sounds nice, that sounds great. But how does that compare to that feeling I get when another package shows up on my front step? How does this compare? Well, in this psalm, I'm seeing three characteristics of God's help that that sets him apart. God's help is keeping, it is constant, and it is complete. And if you're taking notes, we'll come back to that. Keeping, constant, and complete. So let's start with keeping. So these eight short verses here, we read the word keep or keeper six different times. And so just a, just a quick Bible study tip. If you see a word like this used multiple times, then the author wants you to pay close attention to it. And we're, here, we're seeing it a lot here. The Lord will keep you. The Lord is your keeper. But how does his help keep us? Uh, As verse 3 tells us, he keeps our feet from slipping. He will not let them be moved. 
This language of, of firm footing or, or slipping or, or stumbling on the path is used frequently throughout the Bible to represent sinning. So God will keep you from stumbling so harshly over your sin that you cannot regain your footing. And this is critical. You see, with God's help, we can endure a lifetime of suffering and not be thrown off course. In fact, he can even use that suffering to embolden our walk. But a single slip into sin has the power to forfeit it all. It took a single sin in the garden to fracture all of creation, right? We cannot naively think that it won't destroy our lives in the same way. Now, are we as pilgrims still prone to sin? Yes, absolutely. Does it still happen? Yes, absolutely. But God keeps our feet planted. He gives us the help we need to choose righteousness and resist temptation. And even if we do stumble, 1 John 2 tells us that that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who took the consequences of our stumbling upon himself and gave us his righteousness in return. So God keeps us with his refreshing presence he refreshes us. He is the shade on our right hand, as verse 5 says. Which, listen, that sounds a little odd. Like, like, why do I need my right hand to be shaded? Thank you. Uh, but this actually tells us that God is present with us at our right hand. Uh, he's offering us relief from the harsh pressures of this life. And that shade comes in all different forms too. Whether it's, it's physical, emotional, or spiritual refreshment. We can call on God to help sustain us, to supply us with all that we need when the journey feels unsustainable. As Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Oh, the threat of evil, whether it be through spiritual oppression or, or physical harm or social pressure to sin, it is ever present in our lives. However, this keeping from evil, it does not imply that we will be cushioned from attack, that we will not experience any of it. Rather, it means that God arms us in defense of it. He equips us with his very own armor. He gives us his word as a sword and his faith as a shield. We cannot avoid the valley of the shadow of death, but God will empower us to walk through it, fearing no evil. And if all of that were not enough, verse 7 also says that God will keep your life. Now, it doesn't say that he will keep you alive, does it? No. No, just like Moses, none of us will make it to the promised land alive. We won't. But we are not journeying towards an earthly kingdom, are we? Our pilgrimage is to a heavenly country. And because of Jesus' victory over death, God will ensure that we arrive with our life intact. As Colossians 3 compels us, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have already died to this world and have been raised to new eternal life in Christ. Your life is now hidden, that is, kept with Christ in God. So God's help is keeping. God's help is also constant. Tells us uh, it's it's without interruption. It is always available to us. So verses 3 and 4 drive this truth home here. He who keeps you will not slumber, uh, nor will he sleep. 
And remember this, that Bible study tip from earlier, right? So if something is repeated, it demands our attention. So here's another example. The psalmist makes a special point to tell us in redundance that God does not sleep or uh, on our need for his help. Uh, so do you remember the story in, in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus and his disciples, they were crossing the Sea of Galilee on a boat and Jesus, just being completely exhausted from, from a day of teaching, he lays down in the boat uh, to take a nap. But of course, while he's sleeping... Uh, this terrible storm comes out of absolutely nowhere and threatens to capsize the boat, just taking them, taking all of their lives. The disciples, they, they begin to freak out. Jesus, do something. Why are you sleeping? Do you not care that we are perishing? And in the moment, his silence certainly makes them feel that way, doesn't it? Of course it does. I think we can relate with that feeling. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Have you been pleading for God's help, but to no avail? Does he seem entirely silent and uncaring towards your suffering? Personally, I've been praying a while now for something that I've seen, honestly, very little progress on, and it's taken a toll. Truth be told, writing a sermon about asking God for help has been an interesting process for me. But here's what I'm learning. And here's what the Bible makes clear. God's help will not always align with our expectation of help. God's timing will not always be in step with our timing. But does he not care? Is he sleeping on your need? Absolutely not. The Lord will neither slumber nor sleep. What does Jesus do in the boat? He gets up and he tells the, tor- the storm itself to be still. If Jesus is in the boat with you, friends, he will not abandon you. He hears you, he cares for you, and he will act with his sovereign control over all things. He will bend creation itself to display his glorious love and help for you, church. And that brings us to our final characteristic of God's help. God's help is complete My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, the creator of all existence, the supreme Lord over all matter and time, the director and sustainer of every atom in the universe, stands as your personal helper. Man, if you believe that God is truly who he says he is, the maker of heaven and earth, then this is true for you. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about verse 2, and it's a longer quote, and they very kindly put it up here for me, so thank you. Jehovah, who created all things, is equal to every emergency. Heaven and earth are at the disposal of him who made them. Therefore, let us be very joyful in our infinite helper. He will sooner destroy heaven and earth than permit his people to be destroyed. And the hills themselves shall bow rather than he shall fail those who way, uh, whose ways are everlasting. We are bound to look beyond heaven and earth to him who made them both. It is vain to trust the creatures. It is wise to trust the creator. Verse 6 tells us that under God's watch care, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And that was practically good news for, for those who were on a very long trek through the wilderness. Uh, but this also shows us how complete his care for us truly is. 
Whether it be the the known perils of the day or the unknown fear of night, our sleepless God will guard you in every way and in every circumstance. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And all that you endeavor to do, no matter where you might find yourself in this world, the Lord will walk with you, offering his complete care. His help has no limit. It is not subject to time. It's, it doesn't have a lifetime warranty on it. This is an eternal promise. And what other help in this life can offer? And what, what other help in this life can, can offer this, this same promise that our Creator does? What other ballast can boast sovereign control over all creation through day and night in any location or circumstance, now and forevermore? Nothing. Nothing, church. God alone offers us the help we need to see this pilgrimage through. So, how do we get it? How do we access this kind of help? First and foremost, we need to receive Jesus. He is the means by which we step out of the grave to begin our great pilgrimage. He is the power by which we take each step forward, and he is the door by which we enter his country. If you have not already trusted your life to him, then... You are still helplessly dead in your sin. But listen to me. He has already done the work for you. Jesus became a man to endure the journey of life in our place. He faced every temptation and uncertainty that each hill presented along the way. He trusted God to to keep his feet from slipping. He discovered what it was like to pray in desperation with no response. He clung to the complete care of the Lord in every circumstance. And when he hung in our place on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. He completed the journey on our behalf so that in him, we can be certain that we will arrive safely. He is ready to help you. All you have to do is ask. Repent of the ways that we cling to this home rather than our true home. Repent, uh of the good works that we do to earn our place in his kingdom. Trust in the sufficiency of God's help rather than the world's. Secondly, we need to ask for his help, right? We need to ask constantly. If we are perpetually in need, then we need to perpetually communicate that need, right? And listen, the Bible tells us that God knows you so intimately that he understands your need before your tongue can even form the words. But when we ask, we demonstrate his sufficiency to meet our needs. Our asking gives him glory and it emboldens our faith. So in the same way that he does not sleep, God does not grow tired of our asking either. You will not annoy him. You will not exhaust his capacity. God is honored by your persistent requests for help. And listen, if prayer is something uh, that you're, you're new to, Uh, or have not been traditionally good at, uh, listen, you don't need to be terribly articulate when you pray. Uh, I I know I would often tell our missional community when we were leading one that just the, the simplest, most effective prayer you can pray is, God, please help. That's it, right? Please help. He'll take it from there. Thirdly, we must frequently remind ourselves of his willingness and power to help. And this is exactly why the psalmist wrote this chapter, wrote all these songs of ascent. This is why the people of Israel memorized and sang this song on their journey. 
We are prone to forget and wander, especially in the midst of our greatest need. Commit God's word to memory. Sing it if you have to. Memorize it. Even if it's just verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Commit that to memory. And finally, take the time to mark the Lord's help in your life. This is critical and something I've been trying to learn for myself recently. When he so clearly acts and responds in your earn, uh, to your earnest prayer for help, write it down. Remember it. A time will come where his answering will seem few and far between. And in those seasons, it is good to remember that he has helped you before. Surely, he will help you again. Christ community, this pilgrimage of ours, this ascent to God's holy, eternal city is truly, it's impossible. It's impossible apart from his help. Our loving father stands ready to carry you there in Christ. Will you receive it? Let's lift our eyes beyond the hills to our great cosmic refuge in the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you extend help to us. Lord, that you would even choose to know us, let alone to offer yourself to us the fullness of your complete keeping, caring, help, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be able to recognize our helplessness before you. That we cannot walk this journey without foregoing it to just run back to the things that we find uh, so, so relieving and, and help us to feel at home here. God, give us eyes for our forever home. Give us eyes for your kingdom and help us. Lord, carry us along the way. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing it perfectly in our place that we can know that victory is sure, our arrival is sure. Lord, I pray that you would uh, commit this to memory for us, God, that we would remember your help consistently, that we would sing this to ourselves, God, that, that your help would be constantly on our mind, knowing that we have you ready and willing to help us. We can ask all these things in your name. Amen.